0: Welcome to the Applied Blockchain podcast, where blockchain technology and innovation are in the spotlight. My name is Adi Benari and I'm the founder and CEO of Applied Blockchain and I'll be your host as we dive into relaxed conversations with industry experts and thought leaders to get their views on what they're building, the Web3 ecosystem and its transformative impact on the modern world. Bobis Spremo, welcome to the uh, Applied Blockchain podcast. Thanks so much,
1: Adi. Hi, everyone. Hi.
0: Uh, it's amazing to have you on. Um, Boris, can you give us a bit of background? Tell us a bit about yourself, how you got into the space, bit of history. Exciting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, hi, hello, my name is Boris. I'm originally from Croatia. i worked in technology, payments technology for Young's and I finished 2017. I designed and built payments gateways for the likes of Barclays and WorldPay. And at the time, I was frustrated by the technology that I was using, I didn't even realize how big of a thing it was that I was building. I was, you know, I was just a wide eyed kid doing things that seemed to make sense. And some, at some point in 2017, maybe 2016, I realized that this blockchain thing kind of fixes the problems in traditional payment stacks using, you know, traditional RDBMS databases and so on and so forth. And I flipped over to first a course at MIT and then um, I started working as, a, as operations director for blockchain innovation, BNY Mellon. And then when my boss left at the time, he nominated me to head a blockchain innovation for the bank, which was, I don't know, a surprise, let me put it like that. And I was definitely unprepared for the role, but it was also very good learning. Um, so plenty of work with the bank's largest clients at the time, plenty of learning about use cases, capital markets, uh, industry, Groups for blockchain, startups and so on. Um, what were the main
0: great- at that time?
1: It's, you know, almost the same as now, right? So one of the th- big things that um, custodian banks do is management of the post-trade process, right? Essentially, as an asset manager, you, you know, execute a trade on an exchange and then something happens afterwards. And there's a long chain of things that happens. But the gate to that value chain is the custodian bank, which is the likes of BNY Mellon or State Street or City or someone like that. So that settlement is something that requires a number of different inter- intermediaries to conclude that right. The management of the exchange of fiat currency for securities, the management of collateral, the management of risk for counterparties, because we need to have someone who's going to essentially take our money for a fee. They're going to manage risk for us and that's one of the reasons that uh, the first use cases in blockchain, in, you know, solidity networks and others was were ERC-20s because they emulate that value chain quite well. So, you know, if you put aside corporate actions such as dividends and voting and all that, the actual exchange of some value for another value in atomic way, it's just, it's a no-brainer, right? So that was the main use case and obviously everyone was convinced that it's going to you know the changes around the corner and we're going to live very different lives come, you know, 2018 and all that. None of this happened because, you know, the system is entrenched. The system is willing to change but very, very slow. Which kind of led me to leave the system for a bit and Uh, co-found.
0: Boris, presumably you were looking, were you working mainly with private blockchains?
1: Uh, Private blockchains were of interest but all of us at the time there, we we were Ethereum fanboys, right? We were just, you know, we realized the, value of public blockchains, the ability to, you know, as an individual access directly the assets and the networks without the need for intermediaries, it just seemed like something that was, you know, almost magical. You can do things that you couldn't do before and the the way that it's secure and reliable was something that didn't exist before. So we were all quite amazed by that. And it exists, you know, when you build a traditional banking system, you need to layer security, right? You have firewalls, you have access systems, and you have more firewalls and access systems, and so on. But here you have just a database on an open network. Anyone can access it, anyone can try to break it. No one managed to do that properly in a sustained way. It is magic, right, for anyone with traditional tech experience.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I mean, I, I obviously completely uh, concur um okay good so you so you went through this you went through the motions with the banks exploring this um yeah, and, and then what
1: realized that i wanted for the change to happen quicker so i co-founded justology which was a spoke of consensus with investment from consensus to sigma a large hedge fund um the founder of the project was alex who used to be on of bny you know, Alex, right? So, you know, level 39 proof, right?
0: Yeah, I think he was at yeah. UBS before then as well. Yeah, that's correct. Right. Correct,
1: correct, correct. So I see he is a level responsible for much of my, you know, I, let's say blockchain and major mm. education. So service so chief operating officer there, which was interesting, and that is really how do you, you know, build a business? How do you make it work? How do you build a product? There were many mistakes done there by me and many learnings so that I don't make mistakes anymore. Very interesting, very useful, hard at times.
0: And, and Boris, you were on the commercial side or on the technical side then?
1: Commercial side, business side. Chief Operating Officer, which meant really setting up the company for investment at first, and then, you know, the boring stuff, the legal, the HR, you know, the finance, the reporting to the board, things like that. Later, later, more commercial side, such as partnerships and business development and all that, which is what I do right now somehow. After that, I've, you know, I've done a bunch of different projects for different entities. So smaller layer ones, uh, sustainability think tanks that want to use blockchain for sustainability purposes. And it was all somehow I was guided by my instincts. What are the interesting things that I could do? What are the things that attract me? It was not hugely commercial. Um, significant things are, um, I guess, the use case for Green Bonds and Chain with Blockchain Climate Institute, which was ratified by ISO. So I got a seat at the ISO Technical Committee for Blockchain. I never use that seat because... I don't know. I have excuses, but no good explanation. Um, joined Boson Protocol at an early stage at the Centralized Commerce Project and a flagship project for Outlier Ventures, a set of operations and partnerships. So there I... I've done many things. One is obviously partnerships and building teams and all that and strategy, which was in part, how do we build a product that requires less trust to perform transactions for physical items, which is very interesting because trust is implicit in all commerce. You have organizations that manage trust and you have practical trust when you put money on the counter and receive your bag of groceries on the counter. But how do you do that yeah, in a it's way fun. that...
0: It's, it's something that's implicit rather than explicit.
1: Precisely. You, we don't even think about it, right? It's so deep to, you know, in, in human culture and human behavior. But really what we do in order to have it is we pay premiums or we take on disproportional risk, right? So the premiums that we pay for the likes of Amazon or eBay are usually 30%. That Me as a buyer, I don't know. I just perceive that you as a seller are selling things that are quite expensive. And I don't even know that I can have it cheaper, right? So the endeavor was maybe we can make it cheaper by incentivizing both sides to behave honestly without having to have an intermediary for all purposes. And how do we make it compliant? How do we maintain consumer protection laws? How do we maintain the ability to have disputes? How do we treat physicals as data and money at the same time? Which is strange, right? It's a big set of problems and... um An interesting set of problems as well. So one of the things that was, I guess, significant there was founding, uh, building a business development team that managed to sell uh, sell a Metaverse product, which was based on Boson Protocol as rails for the exchange of physicals to the likes of Hilfiger and Asics and other brands. Interesting. 2021. After that, I moved on to Fair Labs, which was about using NFTs and creating the tools for use NFTs. In major brands, which is now uh, uh, a field that is practically overrun by different startups, and Fair is not one of them right now. And then after that, I moved on to Polygon, where I first managed enterprise business development for UK, and uh, I guess Outlaw Ventures as a mentor as well. So I like to I like to do two things. I think first first of all is the mainstream adoption is going to happen through whoever holds the largest networks, and that is going to be major organizations that not only you and I know about, but my mom and your aunt, and you know, and everyone, because we use them every day. We use them every day. We have them in our wallets, here and so on and so forth. So that is the type of business development work that I was doing, and still I'm doing at uh, Polygon, but also on the other side as outlier venture mentor which means that I get to talk with founders, so bright people who are creating interesting things, which I think is very different from actually trying to create adoption in the mainstream because the thinking is very fresh, the problems are very different, the risk is much higher, but somehow it's it's important to keep that excitement and to be able to, for me at least, to be able to I don't know, be close to people who are willing to take on personal risk to make big changes. Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Well, so I want to ask you about Polygon, right? Go for I, I, look, you know, I've been in the space since 2015, right? And I think I still can't go two days without hearing about another blockchain that somebody's yeah. created. Or created. Yeah. <laughs> right? Polygon seems to have got something right because it's currently—I mean, correct me if I'm wrong—but I certainly get the impression that it's it's probably like the destination of choice for the majority of projects now. Or it must be, if not the most popular, one of the most one of the more popular blockchains out there for developers. Um, what, what, what do you think they've done right?
1: Mm. Okay, so I think recognizing the problem and that is how do we scale Ethereum was the first challenge because there was plenty of layer ones who tried to improve on the performance of Ethereum while at the same time not having the ecosystem of Ethereum. So what Polygon was great at doing is taking a piece of technology creating a piece of technology, what we call Polygon POS or what everyone else calls Polygon right now, and releasing it in 2019, which is an extension of the capabilities of Ethereum, which automatically enabled us to tap into the largest developer developer community and also large pools of liquidity and this huge rich vein of innovation in blockchain, which for me, again Ethereum fanboy, uh was probably the the biggest benefit. The technology could have been better or worse, which doesn't matter, but the ability to have that type of developer community meant that it exploded. The second element was product market fit, right? So people can talk about Polygon POS as a technology that is now uh, you know, superseded by various types of robots, some of them being produced by polygons, but it still does the trick from a user perspective. It still improves the user experience and even though it 's not the best technology anymore, it's still quite good we're going to go to the best technology in a moment, and then I guess the final element is uh, the ecosystem build out so on that foundation of technology that is good enough and developer ecosystem, which is the best in the world and validating developers from the perspective of the project uh, and so on, so that they were brought in as equal partners. We were able to build out the ecosystem, yes, of builders, yes, of Web3 projects, but also a number of Web2 projects. And that is now almost like the unstoppable machine in a sense that you can have better technology, but you will not have a better ecosystem. And ecosystems are where the business is, because ultimately this blockchain thing is where we try to build applications that are naturally and natively interoperable which a bunch of other projects you don't even know about. Which means that the business becomes much more organic and business models become much more organic. Now, this is the one thing that we win the, we win the market. And then, on the foundation of that, we are looking to the future with the likes of ZKEVM, Polygon ID, Polygon Midem, and so on. And these are all not necessarily the answers to the to scalability solutions that have come since Polygon TRS was released and widely used. It's mostly a view of how can we create uh, blockchain networks or blockchain infrastructure that does give us what we need in order to have the type of solutions that we buy from the likes of IBM, or Oracle, Microsoft for Web2, for everything that we use at scale. And there are three tenants, the three main tenants there. The first one is can we have the scale? without sacrificing composability and liquidity, because that's the big problem with roll-ups right now. So we, we have fragmented liquidity and we have lack of composability um, in between different roll-ups, and even we have bridges, bridges are one-to-one, one, right? So with Polygon 2.0, that bridge is unified, essentially, and then on top of it, you have any number of ZKVMs, which are essentially application networks where you, you know, control how you produce blocks. Okay, so and, hang,
0: on, hang on, hang on, I'm going to slow you down a bit there
1: i oh, sorry. I'm just getting
0: there's, excited. A, there's a lot of buzzwords I need to unpack. Yeah.
1: Right. Okay.
0: Go on. Go on. So we've, we've got the we've got the Polygon Proof of Stake network. I kind of get that. That's a, a, a you know a, a separate network, if you like, to Ethereum, Proof of Stake consensus, and that's that's kind of as you say what everybody thinks of as Polygon. Then we've got this this thing called ZK rollups. Right. My understanding of a ZK rollup is it's effectively another. Technology, so it's another uh, node or set of nodes um, where we can submit transactions, create blocks, I guess, and then those get those can get rolled up to a layer above, right? Which could be a layer one Ethereum, it could be something else, it could be a Polygon, I guess, um, and and it can get validated in the smart contracts of the blockchain that it gets rolled up to, right? So we basically have this security that's more deeply anchored. In the layer above us, right, and that's how. We, so we can have a block on this layer two or layer three or whatever, roll it up, and then after that we can sleep at night because it's already rolled up. It doesn't matter what happens to the the ZK roll up itself, right? We're kind of anchored in the chain above it. Is that that's
1: that's that's fair? Very fair. And thank you for for filling the gap that the left because when I get excited, especially when I speak with you or the likes of you, is. I forget to explain what something is. I just you know blah, 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 say it, right. So thanks. Okay, so that's so that's
0: the roll up, and so there's a number of roll up technologies out there. Polygon's got one, I think maybe even more than one uh, of those technologies, but then, I guess the zkVM that's the main thing. That or the, or the is that what it's called?
1: zkVM, yeah. zkVM. That's the, the main roll up, and then obviously there will be others, right? Validiums where data is not kept right. on chain. But off chain and so on, right? There's there's a universe of these things now. And
0: and the zkVM that operates as a separate network, if you like, to the Polygon POS, right? It's a separate.
1: It's a second, entirely entirely separate, yes. Right.
0: Okay. So if I want the quality of service associated with a zk network, then I would go and deploy it to the zkVM, right? Precisely. And and that's a network in itself, right? So Polygon runs a network of zkVM validators. Yeah.
1: Well, yes, validators. Yeah, I mean, it's it sequences, aggregators, and provers, and so on. Yeah. Right? So a, okay. Which which element of that is, decentralized, and what is the you know the the, the model is, What yeah. was different, right? Yeah.
0: Okay, so there's a few components that make up. As that roll well up, and some are more decentralized than others, for technical Correct. reasons, yeah. I guess. Correct. Um, Correct. And so what's so what's Polygon two? <laughs>
1: Ooh, I'm not even certain what I can... Do you know what? Let me just take a quick look at what we released publicly so that I can actually tell you what I'm allowed to tell you. I uh... <laughs> I'm sorry for this. Okay.
0: just everything and we can edit. <laughs> of course, of course.
1: We can trust um, Yeah. Do you know what? Um, Polygon 2.0 is our vision of how the next version of internet is going to look like. And we heard that part of the census many times from many organizations, right? But our vision is essentially fixes that problem that I mentioned about the current set of rollups that have fragmented liquidity and lack of composability between different um, rollups. Essentially, each rollup, it would be ideal if it can natively speak with other rollups or with whatever's underneath the rollup, the base chain or whatever layer one, call it what you want. And if the ideal is the liquidity of all rollups was existing in a single pool, which means that there would be no segregation, no fragmentation, and none of the problems that we see traditionally around So Polygon 2.0 is a vision for that. How can we have any number of rollups where you uh, run a rollup for yourself and you entirely centralize it and your users are very comfortable with it because they trust adi and the trust applied blockchain and yet the results of that are posted anchored on the base chain and we are okay we can see the you know zk proofs and the proof trees and things like that so we can trust it and other rollups, which are maybe more decentralized which interact with your rollup, are able to utilize that so anyone can have their applications at scale and suddenly performance or block space which we called you know in 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 the industry isn't a constraint anymore because traditionally up until now, it was a constraint. And at the same time, applications can invoke each other across rollups and tap into each other liquidity or user liquidity across rollups. So there's a number of solutions there, right? And then that goes back into the three tenets that I mentioned about how do we serve the world? Rather than you and I and others who kinda of like to think of technology and know how to keep their private keys, right?
0: We just out capturing s- stuff, but other other people actually have to want to use it for something.
1: Yeah, new precisely, stuff, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What is what is it worth, right? And you know, who can do it well for me? But scale is one, right? And scale is definitely something troll-ups do. Interoperability is something that rollups don't necessarily do very well. And that is both in terms of application to application. How can I work a method? But also liquidity to liquidity, not having a number of isolated pools, but having mm-hmm. one chunky big pool right where everything sits. So, so that's the second part. So is this, kind,
0: is this a kind of bridge or is it, or is it some, I mean, how should I think it, of it in terms of?
1: Solution? It is a bridge. It is a bridge, but I think this is where what I can say stops. And it is definitely, I would say, a bridge. And I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> So, but yes, that gives us the ability to actually have to see the entire world at once and to have that end-to-end interoperability that we don't think that we have with various layer twos right now, whichever technology they use. The second tenant is privacy. We can't have enterprise applications without privacy because everyone is terrified that their supply chain will be reverse engineered that their you know uh, investment strategy will be reverse engineered And right now everything is pseudonymous, which means that at some point for some entities or rather for some public addresses, we have strong suspicions who they belong to. Or for some, we actually know outright who they belong to. And that is something that a major global corporation finds a non-starter. So we need to solve that as well. And obviously there's a solution for that either through fully public, sorry, through private rollups. Or maybe through a new virtual machines such as Miden, which not only enables privacy at the virtual machine level, but also uh, parallelization, which means that there's additional performance. And another set of bells and whistles.
0: That, and that's using zero knowledge proof technology, I guess, as well?
1: I don't know about MITEN, but I would, find it, I would find it very hard. Uh, to believe that it doesn't have anything to do with it, in part because z k technology is very important for scale because we don't have to you know rerun the same calculations in order to prove that something is correct, which we up until now needed to do uh but also because one of the main tenets of polygon strategy is z k is going to win the world z k is what what makes impossible possible, so we invested in a number of z k projects which are now absorbed into polygon and do do make up. Polygon two vision, yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. Amazing. And one more. You mentioned uh, Validiums. Yes. Yes. Go on. I'm gonna. I'm gonna ask you. Then what's a Validium? Ooh.
1: Ooh. Okay. I think this is where my knowledge kind of stops. So I'm going to probably run off a cliff right now, but <laughs> probably <laughs> be told off by product people okay. that I, I should maybe not talk
0: about. This is the bit we edit out. Then.
1: Yeah. yeah. So. Okay. There is. A, there is a tension or a trade-off in blockchain between very keep data and what kind of security and scalability that gives us, right? So right now we keep data in the call data field of a transaction that is limited, that is on-chain, which means that it's highly secure, but it is limiting scale. Yeah. Great security. On-chain
0: means the layer in the layer one, for example.
1: Correct. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. But maybe we can export that to a data availability layer which can be different. And how it works is really TBD or rather, I don't know well enough, but it is able to provide that data in greater quantities with greater throughput to the applications that use it so that we can actually have increased throughput in the Validium itself, or rather in the rollup which is another type of Validium, which doesn't use call data on layer one, it uses data-to-data availability layer, which could be something like dank sharding in Ethereum 2, or it should be could be something like uh, Polygon-Aware, which I think is not a Polygon solution anymore, but at, at one point, was which enables us to store larger amounts of data and access them from smart contracts.
0: Okay, and I, so I guess to unpack that, or to make sure I've understood it, um, if i have a zk roll up so i'm rolling up to let's say layer one what i would want i've got my transactions in my block i create a proof a zero knowledge proof which goes up to layer one what we're saying here is actually that's not the only thing that goes up to layer one we normally send also some information about the transactions um and, and with the validion we can basically say well that, transac- that, that transaction data that's going to take up space and, and gas fees on layer one, so it's probably more efficient to put it somewhere else. But it needs to be. We need to have some guarantees that when we need it, if and when we need it, we can get to it,
1: right? Which is a problem with distributed systems or systems which are, you know, more complex. Is it available? Has been tampered with, and things like that.
0: Okay. okay good. Good. Um, Boris. Where's this all going?
1: Wow. <laughs> For me, ah, I don't, Adi, I don't know. You ask hard questions, increasingly hard as we, as we, you know, as we continue, uh, not a critique, but in short, I don't know, uh, hope, I hope that we're going to, I guess, different business models different business models where interoperability is a part of the business model because it has been, technology has been hampering uh business model innovation in Web2. This is now becoming less and less, so I think, so with the likes of privacy, with the likes of scalability, um, with the likes of integrated um, liquidity or unified liquidity, we are able to essentially build systems that are not siloed, not segregated, which is a problem with Web2, which means that the adoption in Web2 may start happening. Now, there's a number of important and big obstacles to that. I would like for that to happen instantly, and people like you and I would enter an organization and say, right, out with the old, in with the new, and let's see what we can do after that. However, it's not how organizations work. There are some who are very keen on innovation in a sense that yes they are making great investments into the right type of people whether they're technologists strategists product people business people commercial people and so on and that can relate to blockchain machine learning ai whatever you want and these are well prepared however the pace of the change is slow because the risk ultimately to the organizations with established business models and established infrastructure it's quite high. Now, again, you and I would happily take on the risks of uprooting all of that, throwing it away, and creating something new because, hey, it excites us and we want to improve the world. However, you know, if a large card scheme or a tier one bank want to do it up, there's a significant risk to their users, to their reputation, to their shareholders, and so on. So they don't. And ultimately, there are risks to the decision makers, right? If I'm a decision maker who says, okay, my horizon for this particular level of motivation to become net positive for the on investment is 5 or 10 years, I plan to be in this seat for three. That means that I won't take the risk because I will not reap the benefits of it. And if something goes wrong while I'm here, I get hit in the head. Essentially, you know, I step on on a ladder and, you know, it breaks and I fall down. So why would I do that? It's, it's almost the like
0: it's the innovators' dilemma to an extent.
1: Right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it, it's almost like these initiatives need to come from sort of long-term view, which is quite high up top. It's either shareholder, board, or C-suite. And it needs to come in organizations that take a long-term view. So one of, one of the ways of looking at it is that when I do my video research, and that is to try to understand which organizations are actually ready for that, are the ones who have a large number of people with blockchain, crypto, decentralized, digital asset in their own title that have significant projects out there that are not afraid to hire people from startups and are not afraid to do change. It seems like there are a number of those, um, maybe 10 to 20 that are of meaningful scale and with meaningful investments. But maybe maybe we need to accept that the type of change that we wanted to see in 2017 or 2016 when I joined, where everything is changed and everything is improved, is going to take decades. We're not just changing systems in banks. We're creating a new version of Internet. And for some, that may be the abolition of banks because why would I need it if I can hold my private keys and I can manage my portfolio? What? Why would I take the services of a bank? Which is a legitimate view, and I think people should be able to go through life like that, and right now they're not. Right now that is illegal and that is prevented by the regulator. So there's quite a few things to change there. But also for those who don't want the risk of keeping their private keys, who don't, who don't want the headache of managing their own portfolios because we are all terrified by finance. There is a bunch of research that, that describes how emotionally burdensome managing your own money is. So there's going to be a larger spectrum of options, and I think change to the extreme that we want to see is going to be gradual. And generational, and that is my will my um, view personally, it's not Polygon's view. Obviously, we need to keep at it, and you uh, know, and make it happen. Yeah. Okay,
0: yeah, it's interesting. I don't, I don't, I don't think I would uh, really argue with most of that. I think it's, um, it's really, you know, having been in the space for a while, you get people who say, oh if the technology works, you know, why aren't we seeing it in mainstream use cases? And on the other side, you know. Um, um, I guess when, when when I look at it, I think it's still very early days, right? And and also I compare it to AI, which is a technology which you can always do on your own, right? Get some data and start running your algorithms. Blockchain is a group sport, finances, regulation. I mean, you name it. it's uh, It's got all these extra levels of complexity in terms of rolling it out and tapping into the efficiencies that you talked about at the beginning that swaps and... Uh, you know, being able to do delivery versus payment and, and the smart contract and so on, right? Attracted you into this in the first place. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I think it's there, but there's a lot of reasons why it's hard to tap into. But then also having been in the space for a while like you, you suddenly some- see something like what happened during COVID when the space just took off like crazy. Uh, and so you realize that it's, it's really quite unpredictable. So there's, there are different things going on at different paces. You know, there's some technology innovation in the crypto space, which is really advancing incredibly, like the zero-knowledge proofs. There's regulation, which looks like it's, in some places, okay, it's standing still, even going backwards. In other places, it's kind of moving along at a a slow pace, but it's moving along, right, progressing. And you come back in two years, and you suddenly see it's in a different place now to where it was two years ago. Um, And then you've got these kind of... Fit, you know, fits and stops like you know the, the crazy cycles like we had with the NFTs and DeFi and so on as well. So all of that kind of happening around the same uh, technology. It's very difficult, and the enterprise uh, cycle as well, which I think is interesting because we're certainly seeing that enterprise did a lot of experiments a few years ago. Then then we kind of saw the crypto space take off. Now you've got the enterprise looking at. Really, some of the interesting stuff behind what was what happened in crypto, like the DeFi uh, protocols and so on, and starting to take a genuine interest in that. And obviously, it takes them a while to mobilize in order to to actually start to to, to move around that. So, so yeah, so we see all these different uh, kind of cycles within cycles, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Cycles within cycles at different speeds, at different tracks, and maybe to your point the most interesting track is the least predictable one. that is what the communities are doing and how they're developing things because in the last bull run, in the last cycle we had NFTs and it started with the art and just went into, into places where, you know, if you told me oh, this is how things are going to play out I would told you, add it, you, you're making no sense, right? It won't. It won't be commercial. It was extremely commercial. DAOs as well and so on and so forth, right? So it's almost like, you know, what are the enthusiasts going to create that is going to be exciting and ultimately is going to percolate into the mainstream, into the enterprises because all of these things are now a part of the enterprises and the Delta for that is what, 2023 and we were in the NFT boom in 2021, two years, right? Which means that the cycle length is actually being reduced or at least the last one is less reduced and we can now, we now see significant adoption for NFTs for different uses in enterprises. Yeah.
0: yeah. I guess the other the other dynamic when you spoke about enterprises is the competition, right? Because the enterprises well, well, move slow until there's a competitor that, that until so, suddenly somebody pops up and starts eating your lunch. And, yeah, you know, yeah. if you'd have asked within Blockbuster, you know, when is it when is it going to be the right time to use the streaming technology? Yeah, it, until Netflix popped up, it wasn't right. But then it was too late. So uh, you know, there's a, there's an element of that as well, and and you know, I think that's
1: as that's a BD guy, nothing makes me happier than being able to walk into someone's office and say, look at them. They're doing it. They just announced something and see how the anxiety spreads around the room because that's what makes people yeah, act yeah. Yeah. I think also the one of the hard things
0: working um, or interesting is really working with enterprises. Um, certainly in the early days, we saw a lot of, let's take existing business processes and see how we can improve them with blockchain. And what we like to do is... Here's a blank sheet of paper. Here's the things that your customers want to do in your industry. Here's the new technology. What does this look like, right? And and that's that's a completely different uh, it's a completely different view. And, I, and and I mean our advice for the customers we work with is, is do go through that exercise, put that up on a wall in front of you, and, and start thinking what at what pace or what steps do you need to take if that's if that's where things are going to go. And if you look at the technology and what's possible, and uh, the technical efficiencies that come with that, then that's where things are going to go, unless there's another technology that's going to come along and change that. Right? I think. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. I think I think that's it's so. It is very important not to think about new, any new technology in terms of operational efficiencies, which is what you know how we can improve what we you know the status quo. Can we change it? Can we make it quicker? Can we make it cheaper? Yeah, great. You can do all of these things but can you change the status quo and make it into something else entirely? Can you make it a better thing? Which is business innovation, which is, which is much harder. And from my perspective, I'm seeing a lot of people who have been brought in from startups to think in those ways. But I feel like doing new things, especially at scale, it's quite hard for established corporates. But, you know, they seem to be doing... They seem to be doing a lot right now i won't lie yeah. what's your view on the next on the next cycle while, we, while we're talking about cycles and you know you know do you have a prediction what will what will yeah work? I, don't, I don't
0: know to be honest i mean if i look at the previous cycle yeah, yeah I, remember, I remember going to nft gaming i think it must be one of the first nft gaming conferences right in hong kong about two years before nfts broke out but not thinking oh my god this thing will be huge just thinking it's it's, it's niche right and, and yeah. maybe yeah. even with DeFi, you know, so I think it, just because the things are in front of you doesn't mean it's not obvious at the time what's going to break through. Uh, or yeah. it wasn't to me. <laughs> now, if, if, if I look around now, I'd say uh, the, the thing that we see that we come across the most, and it might be because we sit a little bit between crypto and enterprise is, is real world assets, right? It's kind of obvious, but we see um, a lot of what's happening crypto is obviously native. Uh, crypto assets and a lot of the innovation has been about that, but that's because there's, that's got the least friction. Mm. It's easy to create a crypto asset, almost too easy, and and then you can start doing interesting things with it. Um, but obviously, if we can, if we if we can bring some real world assets into that environment and into that infrastructure, then we can start to do some of what you were talking about earlier. And over the years, we've we've worked with lots of companies that have started to do that or try to do that and timing is very important in these things you know there's things that are available now that weren't available a few years ago there's things that will be available in a couple of years that are not available now so we're seeing steps towards that i think that's that that's definitely something that's kind of ticking away there i don't know if, there, if it will if there'll be like a breakthrough or a tipping point uh, in any of those types of assets uh, anytime soon but that that's what we're seeing
1: yeah, I agree with you, actually. My my, my job at Polygon right now, Bye. my job at Polygon right now, it's it's asset tokenization. And I see a huge amount of activity where I'm expecting the tipping point. But it takes a jurisdiction, it takes a regulator, it takes an atomic network, the smallest possible network of market participants and infrastructure, doing something significant, which means at scale. Um, for things to change. And this is when that FOMO that you mentioned five minutes ago comes into play, right? Because everyone is preparing. You can see large organizations writing large VC checks for great um, platforms and so on. You can see them using for POCs and all that. It's almost like, Hey, we're ready, but we are willing to make the first step. And that is, that seems to be the case across the board. In some jurisdictions, that first step is impossible to make because regulators don't allow the use of even centralized blockchain technologies for a particular action. Let's, let's call it settlement, let's call it DVP, right, um, for that. But yeah, I agree with you. Uh, and maybe to, to comment very briefly on what you mentioned about going to, um, you know, gaming NFT conferences ahead of the wave and all that and DeFi. I, I, you know, I I've slagged off slightly all those bank execs or, you know, enterprise execs who are not in our industry and who choose not to make significant adoption. And I'm the guy who usually looks at something in our industry and says, ah, not going to work. And then it works. Right. And I hate myself for it when it happens. Right. I have to think, you know, really Boris, is is that, is that who you are? Right. A naysayer. But you know, it is what it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, there's there's obviously a lot of uh, a lot of interesting people working in the space, and a lot of different things going on, a lot of different angles, and that's I mean, that's what makes it interesting as well, I think. Um, good, um, Boris. Uh, one of the things I ask people on the podcast is, uh, is to recommend something, maybe something you've read or or something you've listened to, something that's inspired you or you think might be interesting uh, for other people.
1: Okay, thank you. Um, and the, 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 so I've done, I've prepared a few things. Um, or I've tried to create a little list. I guess for the things that they're relevant for me in blockchain, and it's very hard to keep abreast of developments and very hard to get the right information, the right analysis in the right way in a way that is very concise. For example, why is buying a smart chain a good or not a good solution for a particular thing and how is Polygon better and why is Avalanche like that and and so on and so forth, right? And you know, what is going to be the evolution of staking or anything. And there you know, if I had infinite time to do research, I would create my own opinions, but I don't have infinite time, my time is finite. And I use my colleagues Matt Bloomberg's podcast, which is called Decent Crypto Podcast, and you can find it in all the popular outlets. Matt is great. And if you work with, you know, if you speak with people who do asset organization at Polygon, you're certainly going to speak with him and he's amazing. And he, you know, I encourage all of you to just, you know, to, to make him go on a tangent because it's going to be a delightful one. You're going to learn more about the world than we're going. And his podcast is great, so highly recommended, especially for industry people who have insufficient time. Um, the next one is a book called building regenerative cultures. Let me try to find that. Uh, so I can actually share the name of the author. So sorry, it's designing regenerative cultures. And it's by Daniel Christian Wall, David W. Orr and Graham Lester. Um and it's a little bit about how can we combine the new technologies that you and I are working on with new ways of dealing with our environment so that we can incentivize positive change rather than have the same typical corporate business models. Because I believe that from that type of thinking, positive change is going to emerge and maybe maybe a change to the status quo where we're not relying necessarily on the same types of entities to, you know, make up how our lives work. Maybe there's a better way, right? Um, and then finally, and this is purely for me, this is, uh, again, another book, which I, I think I've lost, uh, bear with me. Okay. It's, uh, the book by Claire Hughes Johnson. Scaring people, taxes for management and company building. So I've been an operations guy for the longest time. And sometimes it's still a mystery to me how to hire well, how to seek funding well and how to make everything work well and you know not fear change and not have things fail without understanding that it failed in the first place. So I keep doing research on that.
0: Okay, amazing, amazing. Very useful. I'm definitely gonna look that up. Uh... <laughs> No, it's very cool. It's amazing what people come up with here. Uh, and, and actually, yeah. we're starting to build a rich library of recommendations, I think.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm certain that you're, you're, you know, your listeners are very curious, as are you, as are your guests on the podcast. So, you know, it's a good circle to be in. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Boris, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I haven't known you, you know, for that long, but I've got a feeling that we're going to be working together for, for a long time. Uh, i'm so, well looking
1: forward to that and thank you
0: thank you yeah good uh, so yeah again thank you very much thank you very much for your time
1: take care thank you adi all the Bye. best to you and the applied blockchain family see you soon and um, yeah to listeners on the podcast uh, applied blockchain for me it's a great shop and i know how good and how bad it looks like so if you have the opportunity to do business with them please do Adi is great sean is great everyone else is great cheers guys thank you boys
0: Thank you for listening to the Applied Blockchain podcast. Make sure you follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for more updates. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, please let us know by leaving a review and clicking subscribe. Until next time.